Hello everyone, welcome to this month's meeting of the Knoxville Game Design. We are a group of developers in the Knoxville and East Tennessee area. We develop games in our spare time, just as hobbyists, and we've actually been really busy uh, in the last few weeks. There's been two game jams that Knoxville Game Design has participated in. So currently we have uh, three people on the call. Uh, first we have Dylan Wolf. Hello. Joe Miller. Howdy. And Ruth Ann Manning. Hi. Uh, yeah, so the two game jams that took place over the last few weeks are uh, GM48, the 22nd edition of that, where the theme was uh, uh, Descend. And also we participated in Ludum Dare 38, uh, where the theme was a small world. We actually had like a small get-together prior to Ludum Dare 38, where we just talked about the theme and waited for the theme announcement and things like that. So I think last time I started with Dylan. So this time I'm going to start with Joe. So Joe, did you want to show off uh, either your uh, GM48 uh, entry or your Ludum Dare 38 entry? Uh, sure. Let me get it open here. Yeah, I'll see if I can... Uh, I do have it up in my window here. And I actually did do a gameplay video of everybody's game. Uh, just in case. If you don't have anything right now to the show, I can always play that video. But Well, yeah, I could start with uh, GM48. It was before Ludum Dari, so... Yeah. Uh, the Descend theme... I didn't really have a good idea for that theme, but I had kind of a gameplay idea that I wanted to do, and I kind of made the theme fit it later. <laughs> uh, this might be loud. I don't yeah, know how I, the audio comes through. Yeah, that's one thing I learned last time, is like if I'm doing my own audio through the desktop for my game, sometimes it covers me up, so... Uh, I always try to turn the audio down a little bit, but yeah, you did Drone De drone Delver, so this was like a little puzzle game, you have a grid of these different, uh, I guess, pieces or cells with different numbers, and they ha have either a plus or a minus, and you just try to make groupings of those numbers. Yeah, I was trying to, so like, the number that's on the drone is how deep it is, so I was trying to make this look like it was like a whole that they were going down and you're yeah. having to use drones to tell other drones to go deeper. So you like when you make a match, like a match three, um, it affects the numbers around each drone Yeah, I where like the, the red adds and the blue subtracts. And the point was trying to get uh, a 25. You're trying to get one of these numbers down to 25. Uh, and part of the problem that happens there is when you get to, I made it so multiples of seven and multiples of nine cause uh, like row clears and column clears, mm -hmm. which made it actually trickier to, to get higher numbers. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so basically you can swap any two cells on the screen. It looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's an eight by eight grid. Yep. And you're just trying to make three of the numbers together. So then whenever you swap those and you get three numbers in a row, then that either adds or reduces to all the adjacent cells based on whether it's blue or red. And one thing I thought was nice about this is like you actually had the little plus symbols or minus symbols next to the actual cell. So uh, that gives you a way to know what actually it's doing to the surrounding cells. And after you get that uh, memorized, then uh, then you can just remember, it's like, okay, yeah, red always subtracts and the light blue or cyan adds. And uh, then if you go below zero, then they turn gray. So I never could figure out what to do with the gray ones. Are, you, are those uh, just like stuck? Yeah, so if you went below zero, it's part of what you're supposed to be watching out for. Uh, the only way to get rid of them at that point is to do one of the the 14s or the 18s, the, the multiples of seven or nine that clear a row. Mm-hmm. They will get rid of the grayed out, the errored ones. So going below zero is a bad thing, right? Because you can't do anything with right. them anymore. So you do right. have uh, a countdown. So it looks like you got, I don't know, 100 it was seconds. two minutes, yeah. Two minutes, okay, 120 seconds. But I never did understand what the current depth is. How do you change that? That That's the, whatever the highest number you have in the grid. Oh, okay. So like there's a 15. You're trying to get one of them to 25. Oh, okay. So this is kind of like a top-down view and you're going in... To the pit or whatever. Yeah. I was thinking that you had to go down in the grid. Okay, I get it now. I would turn this one into a 20. Now it's the current depth. Because it's the highest number on the board. So that's the one I'm kind of targeting. But if you're not careful, um, you can end up... Let's see. Turning the 20 into a 21, which makes it a multiple of 7. And then I lost it. So now it resets back to... Oh, 15 is my my next highest. So yeah. then I could start trying to get that one down to 25, but it's kind of a I, I probably shouldn't have done a timer. I think yeah. uh it's meant more to be a puzzle that you would take your time and try to look at all the numbers and see that you might need to move some things around the board before you make your move. Mm-hmm. Um and the timer kind of takes away from that cuz it makes it more uh, frantic that you got to match stuff fast and you don't, yeah, it's not really the goal. Uh, I forgot what software you use. Is it Game Maker? Yeah, I use Game Maker for this. Okay. Yeah, so the GM48, it was similar to Ludum Dari. They do it four times a year. And I think the only requirement is that you use Game Maker and you can either use the original Game Maker or Game Maker 2. I think I just have the original one. I haven't upgraded game maker 2 yet yeah i haven't either i'm still sticking with the original most of my ongoing projects are already made in it so um i haven't wanted to try to make the jump on any of them yet i don't know how difficult it would be to upgrade your projects from game maker 1 to the new game maker 2 i know unity it isn't always intuitive and sometimes there can be issues especially if you're using plugins yeah, and I know they've added more functionality, so there's some things that 
like a, a script that I might call in Game Maker One that only has two or three arguments, like for a position or something, and then in in Game Maker Two they added uh, depth as a thing you can do. So, but then all my code only has two arguments, so it didn't have that third argument for depth. So you have to like go through. But I, I've heard the importing process kind of helps with that. Like it'll call out all the issues and, and bring them up and you can just go through it and take a couple hours and it'll just say, sit there next issue and you fix it next issue. Uh, and, and go one through by one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate it when they change APIs like that and have no way to fall back to the previous API. I mean, it's nice if they do have like a new function, still make it compatible with the old one. So if they add a new argument, just, have that as default or have a default value for that third argument instead of having to go back and change all your code. But yeah, it looks pretty good there, Joe. Yeah, I played it. I rated my 10 games. So the rating system for uh, GM48 is similar to Ludum Dare. I think they do have the requirement that you have to go out and rate 10 games and then they you get nice like feedback and graphs and everything after the ratings completed and everything yeah i think it had a little bit less people this time around too i think it was in the 70s or so yeah so i looked at my rating i didn't do so well but i noticed like there were 53 or so games that got rating ratings then like 74 overall games that were submitted yeah there were quite a few disqualified uh either because they didn't rate other people's games or there was a couple that got called out for using licensed assets. Oh. Uh, which was supposed to be a no-no. Yeah, so it's kind of like the compo in oh, yeah. Ludum Dory, no pre-existing assets. And I saw some just by the thumbnails. Like, no, they didn't like create that like high-definition artwork in, in a weekend. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's there's no separation uh, for teams in that one. So you they're theoretically you could be up against a team of seven people mm. that made a game together instead of just solo yeah uh, i think is if it gets bigger they might... what was that ruth Ann? it is i said was this an international contest this one you're talking about there there are a lot of people from europe that participate okay, okay. so 70 some is very low number yeah it's it's a growing contest so that was the 22nd one they had done i think the uh the last one had closer to 100 people but it's it stays around that number okay 75 yes. to 100 people so they do it four times a year so that's they i guess they've been doing it for about five years and it just takes time for these game competitions to grow i know ludum dory was like very small then like around the fifth year like really started taking off but yeah Seems like it should just keep growing, hopefully. And like I think you told me, Joe, it started out uh, just as a something on Reddit, um, mm -hmm. people getting together, creating games, and they built the website around it and everything. So yeah, it's just the the game maker subreddit is where it started from, and most of the participants are people active on there too. Yeah, so did you want to go ahead and show off your... I guess we'll do this by person. <laughs> did you okay. want to go ahead and show off your Ludum Dare 38 game? Yeah, I got that one ready. So I did Hopperbot. Great. 
that was the small world theme. So I was trying to take that and think of using the worlds as the stages and be able to, to change the like the properties of the environment by the stage, which I used, uh, I think I used gravity and friction. Friction is what I was, I was kind of going to use as um, like an inertia. I think in Game Maker, in the physics terms, the thing that I turned down was linear damping. Okay. Which is not as fun to say as just friction. People understand <laughs> friction. Linear damping's a little bit more mathematical. But the the game here was a pretty simple idea of like um like an Angry Birds controls but with a putt putt kind of rules or like pool. So you have the hopper bot and you're trying to get it into the goal area on each stage and you you just use it like um like Angry Birds, you click and drag and then release and it applies that angle and force to that so basically you're using like a slingshot and you got the little box there and so the objective is to get the box into the little checkerboard goal area right and uh then each of the the stages was a planet so i had like the earth-like planet the moon an ice planet and a fire planet which the the fire planet i was going to try to do like really high gravity but then that ended up not working so well with the the slingshot launcher you couldn't get it going anywhere to do anything so i went for having a really high friction so that like when the when the bot hits things it, it just stops i like it so how you have tra- on the level select screen like the gravity and the friction statistics right there so you kind of know what you're getting into before you start the game yeah, and I made three stages for each planet style, which was pretty, felt kind of ambitious for me. This is the first Ludum Dare or Game Jam game that I actually tried to make stages for. Oh, okay. So I like wasn't sure how much time to devote to making stages versus trying to make more mechanics for the stages. Yeah, that's something you always have to take into consideration because, you know, if people are having to play 20 games, they're probably going to spend at most five minutes uh, on each game. So if you make, like, 50 stages, then probably nobody's going to play them all unless unless they're very tiny stages. Yeah. Uh, I did go through on each stage and make a a method for having a trick shot, which was with this little gym, if you're able to hit that. And get a hole in one at the same time, then it, it counted as a a trick shot. Yeah, I noticed that because the little gem disappears after your first shot. Yeah, so it's meant to be kind of like as a, a a way to do the stage. Oh, that was a close one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed you only have to like touch the goal area with the hopper bot. You don't have to like yeah, it actually stay there. That's, yeah, so it's kind of touchy on that one. I th- I think I would if I if I come back to this and and develop it more, I'll probably do something that actually does like a timer to make sure it stays in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's only but, so much you can do in forty eight hours. 
I like the ice effects in this stage. And you also have like each stage is themed. Uh, so for the ice stage here, you have like the icy cubes and everything. And it looks like the little hopper bot there slides a lot more because you have that dampening. I don't know if it's that dampening yeah. turned up or turned down. <laughs> I guess turned down. That's, right that's turned down. Yeah, yeah. But I call I think I called it friction was friction. 25%. Yeah. Of what uh, this one was supposed to be the earth like planet where everything kind of sets the baseline yeah. for how, how much force it takes to launch and what kind of, get used to the controls uh yeah i still i have a lot more ideas for this one that i i could develop for i'd probably get out of the um the small world theme that i used for ludum dari and just take it more traditional like a putt putt course kind of thing and just yeah. have it all i liked how you took i wanted to do the mechanics of Angry bird, something people are already familiar with. So there, it took me a little while. I was like, what am I doing here? But then once I figured out, I could actually click on the box and slingshot it. I was like, oh, okay. I know I'm familiar with this. And then just took that concept and put it in another scenario where it's similar to putt putt or golf. Yeah. Put, like putt putt is kind of what I had in mind uh, when I started. I'd like to do more along that lines and actually have stages that are like par three, par four. That'll have more things like you got to hit a switch or there's fans blowing or something is, uh, I don't know, back like the incredible machine game on old PCs where there's just more things in the stage environment to interact with that you might have to like break a piece of glass or hit a switch on one of your shots Mm -hmm. to open up the gate or whatever to get to the second part of the stage. But still have you know really interesting ways to do trick shots where somebody could still like get a a two on a par five if they're able to pull off something just right on the angle and force and everything. Yeah, and like moving conveyors. There's there's a lot more I'd want to do with it. This is actually the uh, the first time I've used the built-in physics engine with Game Maker. Yeah, uh, I don't think I've ever used that before. I think when I did my little platformer for the GM48, I think I just coded all of the physics myself and <clears throat> didn't use the built-in physics. I think it uses Box2D or maybe that's Unity. Yeah, it's Box2D. Okay. Uh, which I, I normally do myself too, but I wanted this one to have to be able to quickly manipulate the stuff like the the gravity and the the damping. So I I tried it out and it's it's not so bad. It's it's different from how it using like your X and Y and and horizontal speed, vertical speed. You actually have to give things like impulses and force and torque and get more involved there. But then it is more realistic how it calculates you know collisions and angles and how it stuff can affect the forces mm-hmm. on the object. Now I have a question. Is there a property on that cube, that hopper bot object that tells you if it's still moving or how the like inertia or velocity? Because you can't slingshot it again until it stops. So somehow you got to know it's like, okay, this thing has stopped. So now the player can do the slingshot move again. Yeah, they have uh, the, the property is like physics speed X and physics speed Y. Oh, okay. 
So once it does wait for it to stop moving before you can shoot it again. Oh, okay. So that that's where you check to see if that's equal to zero or not. Cool. Yeah, I didn't want to be able to like click on it in midair and try to shoot it again while it's still flying. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. <laughs> that would be an interesting well, that, game. <laughs> yeah. It'd be hard to click on. Yeah. yeah. I did load this onto mobile just to see what it looked like, and I'd, I'd have to figure out a better way to do the. The little bot, it's way too tiny to try to use your finger to hit on the screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, compared yeah. to using a mouse on the monitor where you can be more precise with clicking. I think that would be uh, very popular as a mobile game, something you can pick up, play a couple of stages, and then come back to it later. Yeah, I might, uh, I might make it play into my pipeline. Uh, yeah. As a, as a game, as a full-fledged Spend some more time on it. Polish yeah. it up. Very cool. So I guess we'll right. go on to... Uh, is that all you want to show with uh, your Game Jam entries, Joe? Uh, yeah. Well, that was good. Uh, very tiring to do back-to-back -back <laughs> jam weekends. I was there with you. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely taking a break for a few weeks from game development and just getting away from it. Because, yeah, doing two... 48-hour game jams back-to-back -back can be very exhausting, especially when you're writing games as well in between. Yeah, and that, the new Ludum Dare website had me a little scared, too, because like, there was no submission on for the compo side on Sunday, and I had a, I had a thing going on with my daughter's daycare. We had, like, an Easter party, so I was trying to wrap up and finish by, like, 2 in the afternoon, and I was yeah. thinking I'd go ahead and get it submitted because I didn't know if we were going to be back home before nine. Um, and like there, there was no way to submit it before yeah. we had to leave. I have. So I was like, well, I, I don't know if I'm going to even get credit for turning this in like this. But it, he, they ended up leaving the compo open throughout the for Monday too, so I got it in. But it was it was kind of scary. I have my own there. opinions on how that was run, and yeah, yeah it, it didn't come off well, but I think they eventually got it where, like you said, everybody could submit and everything, but it doesn't seem to be any better than the old side. I mean, it's just like, hey, here's a page, and you can post screenshots and stuff, and, and they didn't add like the voting until they kept like dragging it on throughout the week. I think by the following Sunday, they finally got it where we could actually go in, the, in there and like raid other people's games and things like that. But yeah, I, I think it's I all like to, it's all working now. I like the old page where you could actually see like how many entries there were. Where it show yeah. there's like 806 compo, and you could know that your game was on like page 17 or whatever, and see it and make sure it looked good. The new and site is. With the new site, I can't even search games. I can't search by person or anything like that. I, but there is that feedback friends site where you can actually go in and search on a name or a person, things like that. But uh, yeah, my my game did not get very much uh, play time this time compared to the last couple. Uh, uh, I know, I know, I played it. <laughs> like, yeah, it got five or six comments so far, but I, I think uh, the other couple Ludum Dara games I had were had like 20 plus comments by this point. 
It just does like it's people are. It's harder to find games without just hard linking on and following a social media post or something. There's not as much uh, discovery. Yeah. Hopefully they'll keep working on the side. I mean, my main gripe is, I mean, supposedly the person that had been developing that has been developing it for like the last year. Well, developing seems like he only works on it during the competitions. Is like, that's a bad time to actually be working on the site. It's like, you're supposed to have it tested and ready to go before the competition starts. And I kept watching on Twitter for them to announce that we were going back to the old <laughs> site. Like the last two times or whatever but i understand yeah. like real life gets in the way and things come up but yeah i mean he, he's getting a thousand bucks a month or somewhere in that range on patreon which isn't a full-time developer salary but it's like well you're making that much i'd kind of like to see a little bit more progress on the site and people actually looked in the github repository and saw that yeah he doesn't work on it until like that actual competition is going on <laughs> so Okay, uh, Dylan, uh, did you want to show off your Lidum Dari 38 game? Uh, sure. So, let me share. Um, I'll just share my entire screen, I guess. So, can you see it? Yep, looks good. All right. So, mine was Tiny Planet Dash, and this it, it sort of came from a discussion we had at Panera uh, beforehand. Uh, mentioned something about oh it'd be neat to have a world that would wrap around so essentially that's what I for example like here's my ship and you know I can you're cutting out a little bit there basically I can I can keep wrapping around yeah. Um, what I'm doing is I'm picking up these little fuel crystals and trying to escape the supernova. Um, thing I noticed in your your playthrough, Levi, I tested for uh, and tested it over. Yeah, uh, this is not a friendly game to just pick up. Oh, I know in my comments the mechanics I picked... of. Put it remind me a little bit of Blaster Master for the NES, where you're riding around in your ship, then you can get out, explore, and get back in your ship and go to other planets. I feel, feel um, as if the supernova it will because it's constantly uh, increasing in speed, uh, or you run out of fuel, you will come over and. Uh, one of the things I should have put in was a reset button. Mm -hmm. So much going on. Like I'm actually doing this all in a single scene. Um, it's back and forth. Um, everything is randomly generated. So long to figure out how to make the, uh, the, uh, wraparound effect work. I'm literally just taking a row of tiles from one end and moving it to the other. Yeah. Um, so the overall objective is to like get as far away from the supernova as possible, right? Yeah, there's not like an end game. I might anything into it because 
I was still kind of tweaking the difficulty. Like there does seem to be a maximum amount you can get away. Or, yeah. Well, actually past a certain point, you won't have any new planets getting generated because they all generate at the beginning. So, Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like the, the flame on the ship. That effect worked really most well. Most Sprite, I was really happy with the way they turned out. A lot of it was just figuring out where to spend my time doing that sort of thing and where to just kind of like throw up something simple. But, yeah, it look, looks cool. So basically, you're running away from the supernova, and uh, if you don't land on the planets and collect more crystals, you're going to run out of fuel, then, then the supernova yeah. will just consume your ship, and then it's game over at that point. Uh, and of course, if a, um, you know, you lose. Which is interesting, because these, like, these two scenes are going on simultaneously. You can actually watch, you know... The supernova expanding in my, um, as I'm running around here on the planet, and I can die. Yeah, I do like the uh, little HUD view, the little navigation map. So you can actually see, like you're saying, see the entire universe, and you see the supernova expanding right there. So if it gets too big and it's starting to consume the planet that you're on, it's like, uh-oh, I better get off this planet as soon as possible and <laughs> keep moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, like I, I've played with multiple cameras in unity before, but, uh, split screen, but this was a little, little bit more of a challenge because all this stuff exists in the same, um, actually you can't see because I'm zoomed out to the UI. You see all, all this stuff back there just on different layers. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're targeting different uh, cameras. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking it was two different scenes that you had merged in together, but you have it all in one scene yeah. at the same time. Did that? Like I split them in and, and tried the, the load scene additive, but at some point I just realized like you're going to have both pieces. You might as well just load them up to begin with. Um yeah, I did that for one of my games before, just trying to do like an options menu and have it as a separate scene. But then to pass information from one scene to another, then you're having to like set global variables and things like that to pass information around. And I agree, a lot of times it's better just to have everything in that one scene so you have everything right there. I actually did have a bunch of little like global variables. Like I have a script that says these cameras are space, these cameras are world, and figure out which ones to turn off and turn on. Um, like one of the, I think one of the things I'm most proud of though is you can technically go back and revisit the same planet and it should stay exactly the way it was when you mm -hmm. leave it because it's, it's saving that. And it's, it took me so long to figure out how to do the offsets say, okay, well I've, you know, I've walked you know, I've, I've essentially rotated the world twice or three times or whatever in one direction. How do I actually figure out where everything was? You know, how do the tiles map up? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's very cool. I like all the randomly generated worlds and I could 
So you, you can take this further. Now, yeah. I know when I was playing, like you can press one of the buttons to shoot your gun. There, I didn't see any enemies or anything. Was there any other purpose to the gun, or is that just something that you just didn't have time to finish? Initially planned. I initially thought about enemies. If I can find one, there were these little like mine with the gun. Um, I can find a planet. Oh yeah, like this one. Like I can. And it will, um, the trick is if you shoot the gun, it will also consume some. And if you use your jetpack to get over water, it will also. Oh. So the idea was everything was tied to that fuel gauge. And I, I actually played around with putting it and if they hit you would um, also take some of your fuel kind of like summer. Mm -hmm. Um that was just I could shoot. Yeah, I noticed just getting your mic is cutting out a little bit. I, I think it only happens whenever you got the game running. I think <laughs> it might be a load on your system there. Oh yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. This is not like a really high end game or a high end PC. Yeah, but pretty much it. Oh, okay. Looks very cool. All right. Uh, well, Ann, you didn't have anything to show off this month. I know you've been working on uh, a little app or something. <laughs> anything you want to share? Yeah, I should have. Um, I should have had some graphics that I could show you, but I'll kind of tell you what it does. Cool. You want me to tell you just verbally, sort of what the app yeah. does? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. The app uh, was motivated because my grandchildren always lived many, many um, states away and their parents never took time to let me do video calls, except, you know, like birthday, Christmas or something. So the app originally was to let the children, you know, talk to me whenever they wanted to. So now I have it divided into six parts for six things that can be done for the children. They can um, click on something that would do a hangout with me. They can click on something that I don't even know how to do yet, which would have a whiteboard where I could help them do their homework. We'd both be writing on the same thing. And the third thing, well, actually, another thing would be that I could teach them stuff. So that one was called Learn. And one that I could play with them. And in my case, I'd make little video games for them to play with. And I already have it to where it can capture video or uh, pictures from their device and send it to like Google Drive or something now. And then the grandparent could download it. Now, the purpose is to combine the concept of old people like me well, I didn't really miss the um, digital divide, but people my age, most of them did. So they don't know how to use computers. So with their app, I call it Tutor Meemaw. Tutor Meemaw? I'm Meemaw, yeah. It's Tutor Meemaw, that's cool. But Tutor Meemaw, the other one is Call Meemaw, I call that one. But the app for the, um, for the grandparents, the old people, has uh, an option for tutorials. So you can, they can say, oh, okay, I want to learn how to do Minecraft so I can play with my little grandchildren. You have a tutorial on that. 
The other neat thing is that they can do make videos that the kids not even be interested in now. For example, I've been doing some genealogy research since I've been over here in Charlotte a little bit, and I could talk about, you know, the great-great-grandmother that was a Cherokee Indian and full-blooded, you know, stuff like that. So you can make little modules that the grandchildren could watch now, but as they get older, they'd be more interested. So that's basically the parts that I have done go up to the, it's, I have, let's see, learn, play, I forget the third one. It's been, I haven't worked on it since before September. There are three easy ones to do, and then Hangout is easy, but the uh, next two are difficult. And one of them, my son says the software doesn't even exist yet, and that's the one where uh, we could be working on a shared whiteboard. Oh, that's So anyway, that's where I am. It's way over my head, but John, my son, says that's what I like to do, so. Yeah, definitely. But now I'm in email mode, so I don't know when I'll ever get back to working on it. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem we all have is finding time to do development, software development. Uh, but when John it. moves here, my son, in July, um, I think I told you earlier, the whole third floor will be mine. And he's going to do, he's going to have a software business on the side. He He's an MD, but he'll have a software business on the side. So I can, and he wants to learn Unity. And so I can see us both kind of doing that together. So possibly I might get back into doing something technical, but I can't promise. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, so Ruth Ann is still in North Carolina. You're hoping to come back soon, taking care of some of the kids right now. But yeah, yeah I think that is definitely a problem that uh, we need needs to be tackled is that digital divide, like getting everybody on the same playing level. And like a collaboration tool like yours would definitely help with that. Uh, yeah, like the kids, the kids side is for kids. My kids have been, you know, looking for Netflix videos ever since they're like two years old. My grandchildren on that side. So the kids know stuff, but they can't do all of the things that I have set up. And they can't, you know, learn things that the grandparents would like read stories to them and all that. They can't do that remotely. But this basically the smarter people on this model are the young kids, the two, three and four year olds. It's the people 66 years old like myself that know, they barely know how to turn on a PC and boot up, you know. Anyway, so that's what I'm working on. Yeah, I know when I, Sorry, I, I'm, I don't... I'm getting close to 40. So I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I mean, the <laughs> internet didn't exist or not on the scale it is, is today. And didn't have tablets. I mean, I got my first PC when uh, 386 when I was, uh, I think, 15 or 16. But like now, every kid has a smartphone and tablet <laughs> at their disposal. Yeah, and my children, grandchildren, which I bought for them, have smart watches, which were under $50 each, and they can take videos and do all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know. The prices yeah. are coming down. <laughs> My first computer was a 386. It had uh, one megabyte of RAM that upgraded to four megabyte of RAM. So it's just really amazing how far our technology has come along over the years. And yeah, that's My first... husband at the time and I bought our first PC in the early 80s. It was an IBM and we paid, I think, $4,000. Some ridiculous amount of money for something that, you know, now doesn't even compete and even when i was a programmer back in the 80s i programmed things like a cray 
and um, ETA, TN, and Cyber 203. You don't know what that is, but... I know, like, Crays are very popular around... Supercomputers in the world, you know, and they were huge. But now we can have that on our desktop, you know, the same speeds. I know Crays are very popular, especially around here in the Oak Ridge area at the lab and everything. They use Mm -hmm. that for the supercomputers, I believe. They either develop it or... Uh, do the operating systems, things like that. I'm not. Yeah, but they've moved way beyond, uh, you know, the speeds now. Intel, Paragon, now everything gets faster and faster. But they, they were much slower. I'd, I'd have to look and see how many megaflops and all that, gigaflops and all that. But back in the 80s, what was considered the fastest in the world, <laughs> you know, slow you know yeah you know what i'm trying to say i'm not very articulate today yeah i know they have like moore's law where like everything the computing power and processing power doubles every i forget how many years it is five years or something like that but i think it's actually slowed down a little bit over the last decade or so but it's in the teraflops now isn't it uh, I'm not sure. When I did it, it was megaflops. I think the fast ones are in the teraflops, but there might be a flop bigger than Terra that they're at yeah. now. I don't know. I used to check I the... I haven't done anything since 2000, you realize. I think it's like the T top 500 supercomputers in the world, T-Bowie or something like that list. And I know mm-hmm. Oak Ridge was always like there. We actually had the highest or fastest supercomputer there for a few years and yeah, I yeah. Think we're Livermore eventually... would in Los Alamos, and now some Japanese companies. I mean, uh, places. Yeah, I know be... China and Japan are now they're in the top five. I think China or Japan mm-hmm. has the top spot now. But actually, the software they use to benchmark those—I uh, forget what it's called. But Jack Dongera, actually... the um, Jack Dongera's. Um, what do they call those? Yeah, I forget what. Is it, that what uh, Linpack. Linpack is what it's called. Impact, yeah, yeah, and it's actually developed over at UT, so yeah, it's definitely yeah. a lot of Jack Don Garrett, yeah. yeah, Jack Don Garrett. Yeah, I used to be a benchmark. I used to be a benchmarker, and I worked for Control Data. And when they were trying to sell a computer, I would try to make the codes that were sent from the customer run faster on the Control Data machines than they ran on the Cray. And oh. it turned out. You really were not benchmarking the two machines. You were really benchmarking the t- the sets of programmers that were optimizing the codes. Oh, okay. So that's I used to be a nanosecond shaver. That's what they would call me. <laughs> it's always good to uh, have optimization. That definitely applies to games as well. I mean, if you start mm-hmm. dropping frames and frame rate, that's a bad thing. So anyway, one more uh, thing I'll say. Remember the uh, commercial "Give it to Mikey, he'll eat anything." Yes, yeah, well, a kick cereal. The benchmarking team in for for um, Control Data was in Minneapolis, and some of the people would like, "I will not benchmark that code. I will not try to optimize <laughs> it." They would say, "Send it to Ruth Ann down in Knoxville. She will work on anything." So I was Control Data. I won't say anymore. I'll I'll mute myself. So oh, that's fine. Yeah, we we enjoy hearing about those stories. Uh, okay, so I'm going to show off what I uh, did for my GM48 quickly. I cre- created a game called Minor Madness, and this was uh, in the the sin theme as well. Minor, Minor Madness. madness. Sure. 
Okay. I think that's working there. Okay, so yeah, you just basically play this little guy. And I actually made a little bit of an improvement to this. Um, you basically go around and collect the gems. Uh, in the post-compo version, I improved the collision detection because Game Maker has this weird thing where you can actually get stuck uh, in some of the walls and ceiling blocks if you don't do everything correctly. But uh, basically, you have two types of gems. The red gems are like the little rubies. They're worth 500 points. You have the emeralds. They're worth a little bit more, 1,000 points. And basically, you just have to, oh no, avoid the little bat characters right there. Uh, I did all of the uh, graphics in Inkscape and um, the actual animations were done in um, Sprider, which I bought through um, Steam a while back. So it seems to do a really good job uh, basically with the character right there. Um, I did a face of him, and then the body and the arms, and then I just pulled all those into Sprite or animated this guy with like two frames. I have two different animations, one for walking and then one for jump. No, one for walking and one for standing still. Uh, and then in Sprite, I can just export a Sprite sheet with um, all the frames and animation. Then I was able to pull that into Game Maker. So, it's a pretty short game. Uh, you're, Sorry, I missed the name of the software that you said. You used, first you used Spriter? Yes, yeah, Spriter. S-P-R-I-T-E-R. Yeah, and, and what about to export so you could import into the game? What was that that you used? Same um, thing? That was also Spriter, Spriter Pro. So, there's you a setting that you can go in there. Actually, I can show okay. that really quickly here. Uh, yeah, right here, Sprider Pro. And let's see if I have my old project up and running here. File, recent. I guess I need to go back and I'm still screen sharing here. Yes. Um, file, recent. So here's my player animation right here. Uh, so you can just basically have these different parts over here, one for the head, leg, body, and you set keyframes in here, and then you can just move these pieces around. Let's see if I can press play. So that's him just standing, and here's the walking animation right here. So basically just have two keyframes, one second long, and you just move these parts around. Okay, this can stop here you can either rotate each of the pieces or you can translate each of the pieces there might be a scale as well yeah you can scale the pieces as well so it's similar to any standard um 3d package you got your rotate scale and uh translate so that's how you create that and then there's like a file export animation to pinger gif and uh, Here's where you go in and you can export a sprite strip, which you can uh, you can use to uh, import into Unity. And the other thing that you can do is you can set the width and height. And that's one thing that I had to spend a little bit, bit of time getting right because sometimes it would make the sprite too big. 
Uh, for GameMaker, it would make it like half the size of the screen. So you got to play around with this width and height. One of my complaints is I wish they would let me specify this in pixels instead of a percentage because I never do know exactly what size this is supposed to be here. But yeah, Spryder Pro, that's what I used. And uh, Inkscape was what I used uh, for actually creating... Uh, the minor guy right there, which I can show really quickly here. Sometimes it takes a little while to start uh, Inkscape. Oh, Ruthann, I think you're muted there. I didn't know if you're saying something. I said I have the app Inkscape on my Macintosh, but I've never tried to really learn how to use it. Oh, yeah. It, it's really good for... Uh, doing vector-based graphics if you want to like have make a uh, a graphic or a sprite and you want to be able to scale it up or scale it down without losing a lot of the quality then uh, Inkscape will generate those SVGs uh, scalable vector graphics file for you but yeah it seems to be slow here I was going to show that off but uh, it'll probably eventually pop up here uh, the game that I developed for Ludum Dare 38 is uh, World Fighter, uh, the Cosmic Warrior. So we talked a little bit about this before. Oh, there's <laughs> Inkscape finally popped up. So let's see if I have recent, open recent player. Yeah, so there's an example of the player. Basically, I just duplicated the two arms and feet and but you gotta create your sprite this way you can't just put everything on one because then you lose the ability to animate this guy move the distinct pieces around then there's like an export ping option over here which is a little bit quirky you have to set a file name you always have to remember to press export after because if you just click export as and press save, you think it's actually exported your file after you've pressed save, but it hasn't. You gotta actually do another press to export button down here as well. Okay, so let me go through and admit I wasn't ready to show off this one, but World Fighter. Uh, so this came out of our discussion at Panera Bread <laughs> before. Um, the competition i was like oh okay <clears throat> the one <clears throat> theme that i thought was interesting was a small world and that turned out to be the actual theme <laughs> which i wasn't expecting okay world Yeah, so basically I wanted to make a fighting game where you can like blow stuff up and attack people. So uh, I kind of got my inspiration from Globy from Pee Wee's Playhouse. He plays like this little globe character and he can punch. And I think that was uh, Joe's uh, suggestion right there. It's like, oh, can you use, you should be able to use the moons to punch your enemies. So <clears throat> you got this character, he kind of looks like the planet Earth. He's green with like, eyes and face and hair blue kind of like the oceans and everything and <clears throat> I had originally envisioned having different planets with different properties like having Jupiter this big 
planet you gotta punch multiple times, but I didn't have enough time to add all the additional planets in the game. Uh, as you can see, I used to sell Fracture plugin again for this game, so whenever you punch the enemies and they just all kind of collapse and fall apart, kind of like a, a crushed eggshell or something like that. <clears throat> so, there really isn't too much to this game. You just basically go through, you attack all the different enemies and uh, try not to die yourself. And once you get to the end of the stage, then it's uh, you basically just complete the game and uh, it's game over. So that was my simple game. I developed it in, let me go back to this screen right here. Uh, I developed it in Unity uh, using Blender. And uh, I didn't use BFXR this time. I did all the sound effects myself. I used GarageBand again this time for... Uh, composing the music and I have a time-lapse video I forgot to mention both Joe and myself we both have time-lapse videos which you can find on uh, noxgamedesign.org if you want to see like that full two-day process compressed down into like five minutes or so uh, did you stream yours too during yeah I did a full stream uh, over uh, <clears throat> over YouTube so you can go back and uh, I think it's like a five-part series. Most of the streams are around two hours. I think I might have had one that was about four hours or so. But uh, if you want to, if you're wondering how I did anything in there, you can go back and try to find that in the live stream. Okay, so I had a few other things I wanted to mention here. So we talked. Uh, so also on knoxgamedesign.org, Knox you can find links. To all the entries for our uh, GM48 and Ludumdare38 entries. So if you want to play any of those games that we've talked about today, they're all available online. And if anyone out there, if you've competed in Ludumdare, you're welcome to uh, vote on our games as well. So there's links to all the entries there. Uh, one other thing that I worked on a little bit is this uh, score test leaderboard. Let me make sure I'm still sharing here. And this also came out of our talk, our kickoff meeting. Uh, I had actually done a leaderboard for my Note Chopper game, which I talked about last month. And I took the code that I used for creating uh, the leaderboard and took out all my stuff specific toward the game and made this kind of like plug-in or add-on right here uh, for doing a leaderboard in, using Unity, uh, MySQL, and uh, PHP. Uh, actually, you can use actually any database. You might have to tweak the MySQL just a little bit for your database. Uh, but yeah, basically you just need a web server uh where you can host PHP and a database running MySQL. Then I have like a simple uh, Unity uh, project. This was actually an, uh, came from another project by Michael James Williams, uh, but I expanded on his code quite a bit. Uh, there were some errors in the SQL code. Uh, I rewrote the Unity example from scratch using the new Unity 5 uh, API examples and I tweaked some of the PHP. I made it where you, uh, 
uh, your database can handle multiple games now and you can specify a game ID. But uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about this at our previous kickoff meeting. Uh, it basically, you pass the using a rest command like a get or a put uh, to the PHP file. You pass it the player ID, which can just, I have it currently as like a text box um, where you type in your name, you pass it a game ID, and then you pass it uh, the score which is like an integer, and also an, an MD5 sum, which is uh, a, a private key, which you have set in both the PHP file and in your Unity game. So you basically do an MD5 hash of all that, and you pass that as a parameter to the PHP file that's sitting on the server. So that verifies that uh, it is, uh, a, uh, I forget what, the an authentic uh call to the API so not anybody can just go out and make a call to it and uh, try to post or hack their own scores so yeah if anybody out there is wanting to do a leaderboard and uh, using MySQL, PHP, and Unity I definitely recommend checking this out. Uh, the SQL I have all of the code right here it's just creating two tables game and score um, the PHP, uh, basically just three files, adding the score, add a new score uh, to the leaderboard. It's got a display for top scores, the top 10 scores, and also just some connect information. You'll need to, I pulled out all the specific information for a specific installation into this one file, MySQL PHP connect or MySQL connect.php. So you just put in your database host, your username, password, and the database name, and uh, that will allow your PHP to connect to your MySQL database. And yeah, and then you have the uh, Unity files, which is just like a simple example of how to use that. I um, also wanted to mention that uh, I saw uh, Josh Ferguson and Forrest McCorkle, who used to come to our game design groups, they're, they're posting some new stuff about Evil Quest 2. I know they've been working on this for, I don't know, a few years now, and it's been a project that's been uh, developed ever since they released Evil Quest 1 on Steam and Xbox Live Indie Games. So apparently it sounds like they're getting close to maybe releasing this. It's kind of a Secret of Mana overworld action-adventure type game, so... Um, sounds like they're coming along on that pretty well. Um, hopefully we can get that, those guys maybe on one of the future meetings to talk about what, what they've been doing with Evil Quest 2. And I was going to mention, Dylan, you had an article. Uh, both Dylan and Joe are going to be at Momocon, which I want to talk about a little bit. But, uh, Dylan, you had an article, which I read this weekend, uh, about using source control with RPG Maker. Yeah, um, this is one of the things that when when I used this for Let em Dare, that John and I did to share files back and forth. And just in general, I like using source controls uh, source control to make backups. Um, I remembered when I actually did this, there were some problems I had. There's some things you have to do to get it working right. So what I uh, basically wrote this article to 
kind of tell you how to make uh, VXAs work or play as nice as possible with source control, but also to be kind of a, a general um, intro to source control for maybe someone who, you know, isn't, isn't that familiar. Yes, yeah, a very good article. Um, let's see here. So I don't want to steal the thunder from the article or anything, but I think it comes down to, from what I understand, you go out, and it's a very good introduction to source control and everything, but I think the problem, what it sounds like with RPG Maker is, if you go out and you check in your code to like Bitbucket or GitHub or whatever, and then uh, you roll back to a previous version, it sounds like if you're running RPG Maker through Steam, then it will do its own backups. And if you roll back from your committed version, Steam will automatically overwrite with what it thinks the latest version is. So you lose that rollback. Yes, that's exactly it. And, and like I said, I, I I thought, oh yeah, I needed to mention that because I did like the panel for this at MTAC and, and the subject came up and I'm like, I keep telling people you can do this, but you know, if I don't mention this, I'm going to break, you know, break something. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely think source control, I mean, that's the way to, to go. I mean, everyone's hard drive breaks every now and then. or it, It's definitely helpful with working on distributed teams. I use a little bit of GitHub. I use GitHub for my publicly, like, available projects, uh, like, the leaderboard thing that I was showing a second ago. And also I have like this little Twitter bot thing that I've developed. Um, but I use Bitbucket for uh, actually my Ludum Dari games, my game projects, because GitHub, I'm pretty sure everything is public unless you pay for like the uh, subscription service or whatever. But uh, my problem with source code control is if I'm working on a project on one system, like my desktop system, then I go work it on, on it and the laptop. If I don't commit on the desktop before I go work on the laptop, then I get two different versions that are out of sync, and that's when you got to go do a merge, and that can be painful. And I know, Dylan, in your article here, you talk about the difference between like checking in binary and text files. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the other gotcha with um, at least VXIs. I think MV fixes this is if you're checking in binary files, like it's an either or. So, um, you know, if you check in an image and I check in an image and we want to merge, we can either take one or the other. Whereas if it's a text file, it's a little easier. And, and actually Mercurial and Git make merging text files like, you know, source code really easy. It's really rare that you have to do a line by line diff to fix a merge, yeah. Because, at least in my experience. Yeah, because typically I'm working on my file and you're working on your file. I guess there could be some issues with merging those together. But, uh, yeah, I use a program called SourceTree by Atlassian uh, for um, Bitbucket and Mercurial. 
there's also tortoise HG, which I guess is mercury, like the element mercury, which is also good. It gives you like an additional layer over your file system, and you can see like the little icons. Uh, so here's source tree right here. So you can see all my projects here on the left side and it, it will tell me which ones need to be updated and you can just like select all your files or whatever you want to do. Oh, let's install updates. No. And then you commit. Uh, the one lesson that I learned uh, with source control is if you commit on one system and you do another commit on another system, you try to merge them together, that isn't good enough to get your, I guess it's like rebased or something. And I'm not an expert on source control, but uh, you're still like at this uh, incomplete state. So you actually got to do another commit after you do a merge. So it seems like after I do that, everything starts working well. Um, was there anything else? So yeah, Momocon is coming up this weekend and both dylan and joe will be at momocon see dylan you're doing a talk on uh as you just mentioned on uh rpg maker uh do you know which day I, that's going to be actually i'm not doing the rpg maker talk at momocon i i didn't submit it um i what i am gonna do is uh my game development for fun and not profit talk on I think Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, Saturday is going to be like a board gaming talk. So yeah, my oh, only, okay. uh, game dev talk is. Um, it does a... actually look on the schedule like there's a bunch of other game development panels. Yeah, that, their schedule is pretty packed. There's a lot of rooms that all have things going on like every 30 minutes or every hour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely going to try to make it down for at least one day, maybe Saturday when I'm down there. So I may just catch your board game talk. Now, do people have to buy tickets ahead of time or will there be tickets there? I think you can buy them um, at the door. I'm actually pretty sure you can. I think pre-reg like pre-reg is still active, but I think maybe it just went up in price. So, Oh, okay. Well, I plan on maybe being there Saturday. So Joe, you're going to have a booth there, right? On the convention floor. Yeah. I've got a 10 by 10. Um, and the, there's an indie games area where they have, uh, looks like about 48 booths. Wow. That's a lot more than the last time that I was there. I think I was there two years ago and there's probably like 10 games or 10 booths for gaming. Yeah, that's, there's uh, some pretty big uh, games that are going to be in the section there that are still considered indie in that they don't have a publisher, traditional publisher agreement. But they're kind of like the, the triple I indie games. Um, people like Daedalus, um, yeah, I think I've heard of them. Uh, or th I think I remember there was a developer in Atlanta that went by Daedalus, but that's kind of a common name, so it might be a different group altogether. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff like, um, hmm, the Guns of Icarus Alliance, uh, Shadow Tactics is pretty big. Uh, Banner Saga 2 from Stoic. They mm -hmm. have a booth. 
Super Dungeon Tactics. I don't know. Much, much like they're still indie. We got, I mean, it's not like Activision or Microsoft or whatever, but they are like twenty-person teams of professional game dev, not just uh, single people like me. But there yeah. are, th- there's a mix. I mean, there's, there's also the super indie. Yeah, I looked at the uh, the indie game dev uh, showcase awards, like the finalists for that. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've submitted it a couple times in the past and just looking at that list, I was like, oh, oh man, this is, yeah, this is out of my league. This is actual, like you said, triple I, I guess <laughs> yeah. is, is the way I put it. They're still indie, but I mean, it's people that are doing it full time and it's, you know, teams of it's, people. It's names you would recognize from being like popular on Steam or something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's way out of my league. Uh, like, I think technically harmonics is still considered indie. <laughs> um, and uh, who's the other guy? Tim Schafer, Double Fine. Yeah, there's they're indie because they don't they're not like tied to any one publisher. But that that's kind of on the borderline of what would be considered indie today because it's I mean these are guys with millions of dollars and potentially dozens or you know maybe even a hundred employees i don't know there's been lots of arguments about the definition of indie and it's like well technically i guess it means you're working without a publisher but it's not like us where we have day jobs and we're not doing game development full time to feed ourselves i guess we're considered hot or at least i'm considered a hobbyist because i just do this for fun pretty much and Although we all, we all have games that have been published, I mean, on one platform or another, like either the Xbox 360 or, or Google Play or, or Android or, or iPhone. So, yeah, I had I had submitted my uh, Kufu game to that uh, finalist thing too, and I was I was not expecting the the level of quality out of the finalists. I think I submitted one two years ago, and the good thing is, is like, well, it's not like an E3 or GDC or a PAX East or a PAX or anything. Uh, I think the submission fee was like $25 or $40. So, I mean, it's enough. It's like, oh, okay, I'll go ahead and submit it and not have to worry about the financial cost yeah. of it too much. Pretty happy with the booth cost for MomoCon, too. It's, it's much less than um, PAX or E3 type places, too, so... Yeah, I don't really have anything major that I'm showing. Uh, no new announcements per se or anything, but I just kind of—I've got a a fun physical game with uh, a five-gallon bucket and some ping-pong balls. Yeah, so you post on some... that. <laughs> uh, I bought a box of Japanese candy from Amazon that has like 400 random candy pieces. And mainly, I'm just going to be doing a game there where you reach in and try to pull out a colored ping pong ball, but you can't see what you're doing. Um, now, this is a different then, game that you were working on than before, right? Because, let's see here. I thought you had a pose. Yeah, I, th- I was doing one with a fish tank. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up scrapping that one because it wasn't working how I thought it would in my head. Uh, Turns out like, making physical games is, is different than video <laughs> games. Yeah. Some stuff is 
actually got to figure out how things attach to things and real physics gets involved. Um, I think I it still, is yeah. good to have things like that for people to stop by and play with like that, just to get more attention. It is like, oh, here's another booth with a couple of TV screens and handouts and stuff. So this is actually something people can go in and touch and maybe start a yeah, conversation. I'm going to have two tablets running that I'll have all my games on there and like a couple of my prototypes and stuff. I'm going to have a clipboard. I'm going to be trying to gather as a mailing list stuff. And that's going to be the primary draw there is, uh, that's, that's the entry fee to, to play the game and get free candy. That's to give me your email. <laughs> yeah. Or you have like your, on Twitter. Or, yeah. You have your handouts, uh, your little cards and things like that. So people, I think that's the most important thing is getting, uh, something in somebody's hand where they can get in contact with you or view your site later, things like that. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. It's just ah. meet and greet. Jim, I was going to say when I had that DNA sequence analysis company, I used to do a lot of exhibiting and I always gave away these little Hershey bar candies. And then sometimes I would have like some kind of a thing where they would have a number and every 30 minutes I'd give away something that made my booth more popular, <laughs> the candy. But you have to watch the candy people. If you go take a break, some people would just come in and get one piece. But sometimes when you take a break, They'll open up the briefcase and just dump out all your. <laughs> so yeah. Watch those kinds of people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the candy is very popular. Now, I remember when I went down there two years ago, uh, like somebody was like giving away steam keys. So I think that was also pretty neat. It was like, okay, stop by your, your booth and okay, here's a key where you can go and download this game that you've played at the booth, like on your own time after. So I thought that was pretty cool. Are you planning on anything else for your booth? Are you going to have a big banner or <laughs> anything like that? Yeah, I did. I bought a, like a six foot double square banner from, awesome. uh, I think it was from Vistaprint, cool. uh, which it looks pretty good. I, I like it. I, I hadn't just not that expensive to make. I, I was kind of surprised. I didn't do the stand-up sign. Like I looked at a couple of them. Like uh, Michael had got for Knox those, Game Design. Those are yeah, a little spendy. Those can be pretty expensive. I know. I think Mike paid like two hundred or something for that one, mm -hmm. and it seems like it was always a pain to set up and everything. <laughs> But uh, I do like Vistaprint. I, I have like little Levi D. Smith business cards and also, and those are like, you can get 500 for 20 bucks. So uh, anyone out there looking to promote your games, I definitely recommend them or any other online site. I mean, you can get business cards printed up pretty cheaply. And I have like little magnets uh, that I can yeah, go with. Stickers this time too from uh, uprinting.com, which was. There's like 2,000 little square stickers for $40 or so, which is yeah. pretty good. Stickers are excellent because you can give them away and people can take them and stick them on their computer or whatever. Or, and then, then you got free advertising whenever somebody puts your sticker on their computer there. Uh, I also had, I, I got like little flyers made at Staples a couple of years ago, but I really wasn't impressed with uh, their quality. I mean... It came out okay, but it's like, oh, you had to cut your own sides off of it and everything. They left, like, little white edges on it. But, yeah, I, I think Vistaprint's really good. I think they actually have, like, another site where you can actually get pins, like writing pins and things like that mm -hmm. made. But 
some of those things you have to like order 500 at least at a buck a pop and i was like uh yeah i think i spent about another 300 dollars to get everything that i got for yeah. it so i bought some other stuff too like a a surge protector that had usb plugs on it i was gonna take that uh tablecloth um uh, for my table um yeah the sign business cards just and the candy yeah i fear the japanese candy is going to be a good good draw because <laughs> it's an anime convention so i know it's it's this kind of stuff you, you could buy at like fye yeah but it's like the yeah. amazon listings were like a box with like 200 pieces for like 20 bucks and i, I bought like four of them so oh, i wow. have a ton of this candy yeah <laughs> <laughs> But I know it's going to go fast too. We start giving away people, so yeah. But it's and we we had fun with it. I had it delivered to work, and we were all like opening them up and trying different stuff because it's all in Japanese, and I I don't know very much besides my hiragana and katakana, but not enough to know what what candy is like, which flavor it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you look at something and think, oh, that's supposed to be like blueberry, maybe? And then you bite it and it's like, no, it's pizza. Like, what? Oh, man. <laughs> or so this, you this think is it's like going to be... This is direct from Japan, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's got some of the uh, the flavored Kit Kats, which is like a big thing over there. They have like different like ice cream flavored and all just random stuff. There's some stuff that's jellies, some are crunchy stuff, some are like hard candies, some are mints, some is gum. But you don't really know what anything is until you take a bite of it and see <laughs> what it... <laughs> it's like potluck there. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. So, yeah, I- I'm thinking about being there Saturday. So, Joe, are you going to be there all three days? Four days, yeah. Four days. I'm wow. driving down on Wednesday um after work here and then i think that's setup day so I, I don't really know they haven't sent any information about how setup works like if i can take my personal vehicle into the loading dock area somewhere because i'm gonna have i am gonna have a tv screen and uh, i was gonna bring a couple stools and a, a bunch of stuff it's gonna be tricky to carry it all yeah, um, I know there's a parking deck then, like right next to the World Congress Center, but I'm sure they have like a loading dock bay, something around there. I figure I'll get down there because it's, it's like a three and a half, four hour drive. I was probably yeah. just going to head straight there from here and figure out the setup thing. And then I'm actually staying with a friend that lives in Chambly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just gonna be couch surfing and going back and forth to the show from there cool yeah but i'll I'm, be in the i'm thinking the gaming about hall the whole time. yeah I'll, I'll definitely stop by i'm planning on being there i think saturday maybe sunday but definitely saturday i think i've got things going on friday but uh yeah that'd be very cool to see both of you guys down there okay yeah, so... dylan if you need a spot to store stuff you can come by too all right i don't know that i'll have a lot to store and and we've got a room in the omni so we'll be nearby yeah i haven't done momocon before so i don't really know the area too well i've been to the world of coke before 
which uh, I mean, so I've physically been around that area, but I don't think I've ever been inside of this convention center. I think the world of Coke is it's closer actually- to underground Atlanta, I think, which is further down Marietta Street. But yeah. it's actually a really nice convention center. Like it's 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 a it's a big con, and everything's kind of on like three or four floors, maybe. So, you know, you just get there. You can stay there all day. You can walk down to CNN Center and get lunch at the food court. You know. Um, yeah, it sounds like the show hall hours is, is pretty long, so I'm not sure how I'm going to pull that stuff off. I've got a couple people that might come help out or at least come like watch the booth and let me take a bathroom break or something here and there. Go grab a sandwich from Jimmy John's or something. Yeah. As I remember, um, they have that basically like that floor more or less segmented off and like i think you know the dealer's room and artist alley closes and so people can leave stuff there if they have if they have the the indie game showcase in the same area it was last year close that area like at all because digital gaming and analog gaming is in there so you may have to you know um secure some stuff but i can't remember I, and i don't know what it's going to look like this year yeah hopefully my my tv doesn't walk away i can take my laptop and tablets and stuff with me but i, I probably have to leave the tv there overnight hmm. but Worst it case be scenario, somebody try to walk off with it i yeah. think they have guards most of the time they have guards that would be there overnight i would think uh, oh yeah there would be there would be people in that area all night um just in general but it's one of those things um i don't know that we're hotel room but uh if 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 you need anything like that just let me know and we'll i'll see if we can do anything okay i definitely have your name on everything i have a label printer if you want to borrow it (laughs) yeah it should be interesting yeah, sounds like it'll be pretty cool there. Yeah, I definitely plan on showing up. And yeah, anyone else listening is in a, in the Atlanta area that's coming up May 25th through the 28th this weekend. So stop by, say hi to us. Uh, one other thing I was going to mention is, let's see, am I still screen sharing? Share screen. Share. I was actually accepted into the new Xbox creators program. Um, So the trick to this is whenever you sign up for it, it will say, oh, are you currently working with ID at Xbox or Xbox One or something like that? And if you say yes, like I actually submitted and I was accepted into the ID at Xbox, never got a game through the conceptual phase or whatever they call it. Uh, if you say yes, you're working with Microsoft, you'll get an immediate rejection, automated rejection saying, oh, this is only available for people working with Microsoft. So I resubmitted saying, okay, no, I'm not actually having anything currently in the works with Microsoft. So then I got accepted into the program. 
I'll admit, I haven't done anything with this yet. I think this is still like the initial phases where they're rolling this out. This is the program that's supposed to be similar to Xbox Live Indie Games for the Xbox One. I'll admit, I haven't started up my Xbox One in probably a year. <laughs> uh, so I, I did deploy my Kitty's Adventure on Xbox One using the little developer tool thing that they came out with about a year ago or however long it was. Um, so hopefully it's like a similar process to that, but I'll keep you guys updated if I ever, uh, get any further along with this, with their new creator program. So, uh, that's all I had for this time. Uh, Dylan, did you have anything else you wanted to share with us? Ah, that's it. <laughs> I have that... a question. Oh, go for it, Ruthann. Oh, you mentioned that you needed a PHP server. I actually have one. I have hosting. No, where is it? How did you do that? Um, I have GoDaddy hosting. Yeah, uh, that's what I did. Yeah, I so had it, to have a server for the old people one because yeah. they could take a picture and then export it to well, do some overlays and stuff, and export it directly to Facebook. But to do that, I had to have a PHP server. I got the idea from a course I was taking. Yeah, but anyways, I just went to GoDaddy and I just set it up as a PHP server only, and it was like twelve dollars a year or something. Yeah, I think my hosting is like fifty dollars a year. Uh, that's like the economy hosting at the lowest level, and you're on a box with everyone else, or you're competing with resources. And I've noticed issues with that in the past. You've got some other people hogging the web resources and that can slow down your site. I think the domain name, they'll give you an introductory offer of like two ninety nine a year. Then after that, they jack it up to like 20 or 25 a year. Uh, I think other people have used HostGator. I've heard good things about them. Dylan, have you used HostGator? I have not. No, oh, okay. I, and I, I've typically been like doing virtual private servers yeah my hosting um i, I use bluehost right bluehost. i was a cheapo and i found something for free down in australia or somewhere but then when i tried to use that domain name with facebook they rejected it saying you know these people are hackers or whatever so that i broke down and spent 12 dollars a year yeah. <laughs> sorry to say though oh I, not knowing like I, I don't know exactly what that would be but i if if they're like if you didn't have your own domain name and you were just using like you know hostername.com slash your username or something like that i could see where that would get because you're 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 basically working off the reputation of everyone else who has um a site on that domain well, I'm not really that stingy. I have some other domain names, but I was just wondering, since I signed up for the cheap thing, this is a GoDaddy question, but I bet I could expand to be a fancier, uh, you know, I, I could expand to what I can do. It's mine's but I could probably expand to do more than just PHP hosting, right? Yeah, yeah. I know with my GoDaddy hosting, you can either select like a Microsoft stack or a Linux stack. So Linux stack has like MySQL and uh, PHP. The Microsoft stack has like IIS and ASP or something like that. So it's like an either or. You choose one or the other. But I think you, 
Mine's kind of a, a Linux thing. I guess I use cPanel and I go in there and use a lot of Linux commands that I used to know a lot years yeah. ago. Um, but yeah, like Dylan was saying, I know a lot of people are moving to VPS, virtual private servers. So it's kind of like having your own box that you can log into remotely. And I looked at that. I think it's a little bit more. Uh, but it's like, I don't want to do the daily maintenance on my server. I mean, I just want something set up to go. Um, I actually, like, I, I moved a couple months ago to uh, Amazon LightSail, which is kind of their cloud EC2, um, kind of a variant of that for people who aren't necessarily sysadmins. And it's got, it's got like your... Um, you, there's a couple different options, but like the, the Apache stack, Apache and PHP stack is something called Bitnami, which just like everything is all set up and you can just, you know, drop some things in config files. Um, so I really like that because I don't have the inclination to learn how to do, you know, all that sort of uh, sysadmin stuff. Yeah, I, I don't envy people that do that. I remember one time I actually set up a box back when I lived in the apartment like 15 years ago and threw up a web server and everything. And you can actually host your own using your own cable modem, but uh, I don't know if you can get a uh, your own. Don't I don't know how you'd set up the domain name for that. But then you got everybody like logging into your system, and it's it's not pretty. Um, you can actually set up. You can actually buy your domain names separately. Like I buy my domain names through uh, Namecheap.com, oh. and then you know, because I think Namecheap will it'll do your DNS hosting for you, and you know, like website. Um, LightSail was I you know I set up a LightSail server, added a public IP, went into Namecheap, said you know set dylanwolf.com to point to that public IP and you know it kind of like you don't necessarily have to go to the same place for both of them oh. and it isn't as, it isn't as hard to set up as you'd think I need to look into that because like, GoDaddy's killing me I mean it's like oh introductory price two dollars and it's like oh now your .org is like 25 or something a year it's like, let me tell you something that I do might not be ethical but I have this thing called TennesseePrayForAmerica.org and I put it on Google Sites, which is free hosting. And then um, somehow you can set in there what what um, domain name you want to use. So, I, I mean, if you type in TennesseePrayForAmerica.org, you could just type that in, but you actually go to a Google Sites. So oh, okay. Free hosting. Well, that's kind of well, I'm glad that you let no, us that's... know about your website because I'll definitely add was it Transeve kind of like your itch.io page transeve.com no my transeve.com isn't um it isn't like yours transeve.com I just set up so I could test my app so you would have to know like right now um I don't know which one's working because I have it turned off so nobody can get to it right now but I think if it I'll make it I can make it public but I don't want to right now or I can tell you how to get there but it's like transeve.com slash meemaw or slash you know something like that but you have to know specifically what that is to oh okay you just go to transeve.com you don't get anything but anyway but I will once I get it set up um, actually what it is, I gave it to some people at UT to look at it. And then I decided 
hmm, I don't really know if I want them to be demoing this and passing <laughs> it on to other people. So I now have it to where nobody can get to it, but I can without me going into cPanel and changing the, you know. Oh, okay. Well, let us know if you ever get it to the point where it's, where you want to show it off to people. Then I'll add it to the credits and add it to the website or little directory okay. of group members okay. there. Yeah, I'll definitely give it to you people privately. You know, I don't know if, uh, if you don't I want it. To you don't want the yet. whole world to see it yet. Well, huh? You don't want the whole world to see it yet. Well, not yet. No, okay. not yet. And another, another reason for me not to demo it is the only two or three people actually have um, beta tested it. And one was three years old and she has like a lot of good ideas. The first thing is I need to be able to put a mute button on because with each page, it'll say, oh, Zoe Nelly, blah, blah, blah. And then if you keep going there, it gets on your nerves, even if you're three years old. So I need to add some stuff before I really demo it. Oh, okay. But I'll give it to you all, yeah. Sounds good. Okay. You uh, all might want to develop the software that I need for the um, whiteboard. Oh, yeah. That sounds like that's going to be a, a very involved project there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Joe, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I am getting ready to launch a Patreon page. Oh, awesome. Yeah, definitely let Which, us know. Uh, I don't know if that'll actually lead to anything, but I was planning on having that set up. Um, so like when I do launch my games, people that are patrons at the time of launch, I'll, I'll give like a free no ads code or, uh, like three dollars like if you're a dollar patreon then i'll give like three dollars of in-game currency if it's a game that has that kind of thing yeah just I'll, depending on i'll definitely support your patreon yeah i have one i think i'm like six dollars a month so i know some people can like live off of it but uh yeah i, I think like it's kind of like Kickstarter having rewards. Digital rewards are good. So I'll have like, yeah, if you donate a dollar, then I'll put a link to your site as a supporter on my main page. Uh, if you donate $50, which obviously nobody has done yet, I'll put your like company logo or something on my live stream. And then I have like some $5 rewards. Like, oh, you're listed as an official sponsor on my Ludum Dare page or some, things like that. So yeah, I'd stay away from like physical rewards, but uh, yeah, it's it's surprising how many people actually like actually chipping a dollar. I mean, if you actually show that you're developing stuff, I'll admit I'm not the greatest at keeping my Patreon page updated with posts. Uh, it's kind of like an extra step you got to go through. Oh, I'll make a video on YouTube now. I'm gonna post it on Patreon too. So it'd be nice if there was like some automation between the two there. But uh, yeah, definitely let us know, Joe, when you have your Patreon page set up, and we'll we'll post it up on the site. Yeah, I'm definitely. I, my goal is to have it live before um, MomoCon, obviously, so that I'll have that opportunity to tell people to go support me there. If they like what they see. Awesome. Ruthann, did you have anything else you'd like to share? You're on mute there. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and I didn't have anything I, else. So. I get excited when I'm doing technical stuff, but my family really wants me to just be a grandmother, so. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see anything exciting for me, but... <laughs> 
you'll keep seeing me. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's it for this time, this month's meeting of the Knoxville Game Design. I uh, wanted to remind everyone that we do have the podcast, the audio for each of our meetings on iTunes. Just go into iTunes under podcast and look up Knoxville Game Design. Uh, we also have the video for this meeting available on YouTube. And you can also get the audio on Google Play. And uh, if you just want to pull the straight RSS, that's also available as well from the website. So anyway, I appreciate everyone. We appreciate everyone who's listening online and watching the video. And uh, check out Momocon for everyone that's in the area. And uh, we'll be back next month. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. Oh,